0: thing you know we're in the business of going fast and so are the teams and um you know they push it to the absolute limits and sometimes over it and that's that's what happens
1: and the full credit to shane he just just merged into the into the family as if he'd been there all along
2: i was embarrassed for that race to restart in tasmania
3: dumps like that that just isn't acceptable from the racetracks across australia out here's inside supercars Welcome
4: to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Gravel on our post-season wind-up. It's a review of what's happened, what's going to happen, what did happen, with both Tim Hodges, who's a specialist in particularly the electronic media, both ABC Radio and Fox Sports. Joining with Jordan Mulak, who is from Motorsport Mate and Supercars Collective. How are you guys? How are we? Uh, nice to be here, Jen. Wonderful to have you here. We're... Uh... Asking these two chaps who've spent a fair bit of this year looking and sounding and and getting opinions on the whole world of inside supercars. So we'll just go straight to it and ask, first of all, what were your impressions of 2018,
2: Tim? Well, I think it was a a great season for the sport. There were a number of super highlights, which we'll talk about over the next few minutes. Um, But at the end, I think it was another fantastic climax at Newcastle, which is two for two from um, you know two awesome events to, to cap a great champion. I think Scott McLaughlin is a worthy champ. Um, I think he's a great story and he it's good for the sport to have uh, Dick Johnson back as a champion and I, I think it's also good for the sport and I'm sure we'll discuss this that uh, I think it's good for Red Bull not to have won a, a championship after the complete dominance they've had really for the last decade. I, I don't think it's a bad thing to, to have a different champion. It
4: is a great story, and what's more of the point? is wonderful
2: you're going to be writing it. Well, yeah, we've um, uh, just a little project I've had on the go with Scott McLaughlin. Um, it, it was something born from December 2017 after he just had the the most horror, horrible day of his life in Newcastle, um, and, and he lost the, the unlosable championship. Um, we, we just spoke about what would it look like if we put together a diary of following his 2018 season and imagine back then if he could be the champion 12 months on. And, um, you know, it's nice to to back a winner and it's nice that we've been following the story and he's been keeping a diary. And uh, we've been following with Mark Horsburgh, who's been um, pretty much behind the scenes and everywhere he's gone. Mark has been right beside him right through until... Newcastle on Sunday evening when he was up on the catch fence with Scott celebrating with the fans so um, I think it's going to be a really different thing and I hope the supercar fraternity uh, enjoy it and like it and uh, it's not just a, a written piece of a diary it's, it's really a pictorial piece as well so there's been a lot of highs and a lot of lows for, for Scott through the 12 months and it uh, you know, started with the, the worst low of his life and, and ended with with the absolute greatest high And Jordan, your impressions of this year?
1: I mean, 2018, it it was a really brilliant year for fans of the Blue Global. You know, as Tim said, also really great for fans of Dick Johnson and Dick Johnson Racing. I mean, for the Falcon to win a championship in its last flight was a resounding success. But you've also got to give credit to teams like Triple Eight. They had an amazing year, like despite missing out on that driver's championship, the fact that they still had their cars second, third and fourth in the championship, they won the Team's title with the debut of the ZD, you know they might be having some regrets over that uh, decision to possibly cast aside Craig Lowndes from full time driving next year. But at the same time, we saw throughout the pack some unexpe- unexpected stars, uh, a real form guide for next season, really showed up this year.
4: Indeed, it did, and it's interesting to speculate on the fact that really it was uh, Scotty alone versus Triple Eight. Um, and a very tough thing. I mean, there were numerous teams that actually got the ZB right, Erebus probably being the chief amongst them because he was uh, fifth in the points, uh, getting his, not his best ever. I think he had a third in the championship to Dave Reynolds, but certainly the team did very well. Uh, as, as did BJR, WAU, they all had wins. I mean, it was uh, great to see.
2: I think right. it just goes to show Scott's dominance, guys, is that he was over a thousand points better than his teammate, Fabian Coulthard, and, and the fact that the four-car Tickford team were just nowhere all season long, you know, apart from that one day on the Gold Coast where Chad Mostert and James Moffat got the victory, but it was a case of Scott McLaughlin being the lone ranger for Ford, and that's, I think, why it was such a, a sweet victory for everyone who was a Falcons fan, because they were up against it, and I think it was really the 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 class and the brilliance of Scott that that was able to lift that number seventeen over the line when, you know, clearly so many others have been struggling with it. So, you know, kudos to to him for for getting the results. Now, I know that's
1: really been an outdrawn kind of rhetoric throughout the year, but with McLaughlin this year really was a year of redemption and he just stepped it up this year. You can it was a champions' drive pretty much in Newcastle. I mean he almost clean swept the weekend on the most important weekend. Of the year, and the fact that he was able to do that after such a horrid twenty seventeen really showed the uh, the kind of strength and maturity they uh, developed in the past twelve months.
0: Tim, we uh, spoke to Scott last week, and of course it's been well documented now that he has been doing some work, some psychological work, and of course that is a relationship which you helped to foster through the AFL three hundred and sixty program.
2: Yeah, Craig, thanks. Um, it was uh, Scott uh, has become really good friends with with Richmond. Beerhead and superstar Jack Rewald, who, um, he really, they've, they've become good friends. And, and that was through 360. And, um, and Jack actually has written the welcome to the book where they they spent an afternoon in a corporate box uh, at, on an Anzac day watching Essendon and Collingwood. And they just became, I won't say best buddies, but really good buddies. And um, but they talk after, and Jack is a huge Supercars fan. He loves motorsports. And Scott is a huge, I know he's a Kiwi and he loves rugby, but he's a huge AFL fan. He does like the Bulldogs, um, but his, his fiance Carly barracks for the Tigers because of Jack. And it was really Jack who reached out to Scott, and we go in depth with this in the book, but he reached out to him after the events of Newcastle 2017 and said, you know, look back 12 months ago, mate, Richmond's last game of the 2016 season, we lost by 20 goals In Sydney, it was one of the worst days of his life against the Swans when they were hopeless. And 12 months later, they were able to be crowned the premiers of the ASL competition. And a lot of that he attributed to a a mindfulness coach, Emma Murray, who who came on board with the Tigers in 2017 and took them all away. And um, he said, look, no pressure. If you want to call this lady, she is a star and she helped turn us around. And and Scott called her and and they caught up. And she became an integral part of his 2018 season, so much so that, um, you know, he said without Emma Murray by his side for much of the season, he wouldn't be the Supercars champion. So it's a really nice link. And um, thank goodness for for Emma Murray, for for all the Ford fans and and Dick Johnson fans and Scott McLaughlin fans, because I don't think without her her help and guidance and assistance to Scott this year, he would have been able to get the job done.
4: Before we leave the land of um, the teams and things like that, I just think it's going to be an amazing thing to see if both Dickford, um, 23 Red, um, and uh, DJ Team Penske can get more than just one car in the top five in the points um, because obviously the ZB, you know, there are a number of teams that got on top of things and, you know, some of them like you know, David Reynolds, for instance, talking about how fundamentally the car didn't feel that different. Obviously, aerodynamically, there was a difference, um, but it's going to be interesting to see how well uh, the other teams can get the, uh, the Mustang up there so that it's not a lone wolf fighting it.
1: And then- you've got to wonder this year, because Erebus have always been renegades within the past couple of seasons, we've seen that since David Reynolds joined them, the fact that they took that ethos into this season of, right, it's a new car, but we're really not going to change the mentality as to way- the way that we approach it. If that perhaps put them on the front foot, as opposed to some teams who are still trying to chase the setup on what they thought was a new car, and obviously it was always going to massively benefit AAA, but going into next year, it really will be interesting to see the big aerodynamic changes between the Falcon and the Mustang. I mean, at the end of the day, fundamentally, all the cars are meant to be in the same through the grid, but... You know, you've got to wonder how different they're going to be. But, you know, with both teams, both Tickford and Deja, Team Penske, homologating it, you'd think that they know, they'd know the, that car at the back of their hands by the time that we get to Clips or to Adelaide.
2: Yeah, I agree, Jordan. I don't think there's any chance that the, the Mustang is going to be worse than the FGX. I think it's going to be better in all aspects. And by the sounds of it, with the lap times they've been posting at Phillip Island in particular, I, I think it's going to be a jet. And it's going to be really – the gauntlet will be thrown down to the Holden teams to say, well, what have you got? Can you match it? Because the Mustang's going to be, the, I think, one of the – if not the storyline of, of the 2019 season, I think it will be good from the get-go.
4: From what I understand, Tim, you might have actually heard something along these lines um, that Ford have actually been surprised at domestic sales of the Mustang, being surprised at the number that they've moved, I know that uh, they're pretty large numbers. Uh, have you heard anything
2: along those lines? Uh, no, but I'm just driving around, you see them everywhere, and it's cool to yeah. see. And, and I think it will be so cool for the sport to see it when it hits the track in, in Adelaide. And, and I know it's copped a lot of criticism for its appearance, but I think when, um, you know, DJ Tim and who knows what sort of colour schemes the Tixford cars will, will look like in the 23 Red racing car, but they will look awesome. And, um, you know, from everything you're hearing and uh, have spoken a little bit about it with Scott that uh, it's going to be a great race car and, and, you know, you don't go building and spending this much money on a new race car and make it worse than the current thing that you've got, especially when you've got the know-how from America as well, giving input to this thing. So I I think it's going to be not a lethal weapon straight out of the box, but it's going to be a weapon that, that those boys will have a lot of fun playing with. And I think it will be, um, you know, you would hope that Tickford have, I don't think it's possible for them to be worse than this year. So I think they'll be right there with the shell cars as well. So they'll be right around contending for victories, which will be cool for the sport if a Mustang is um, is winning races. More with Tim Hodges and Jordan
4: Lulak
3: after the break. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, Through the years, a lot of reference this race as one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task.
4: Uh, we're able to beat the two, two the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, but, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors family.
3: Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.
4: Welcome back to Inside Supercars. We're talking with Tim Hodges and Jordan Mullach on the 2018 season and beyond. Which leads us on to, really, the Camaro. Um, And, Jordan, um, uh, you've obviously spoken to people about the the introduction of the the Camaro and how that could affect uh, both uh, the relationship between Holden and Triple Eight and Walthenshaws.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. I
2: I don't think
1: there's going to be as much of a problem with that as most people think. I mean, at the end of the day, Holden and HSC at the moment are two totally different companies, essentially, uh, in terms of their core focus, at least. And how they're run. I mean, HSV has a strong association with the Walkinshaw crew. I really don't think that there's any threat of Triple of Eight, you know, jumping ship and changing to the Camaro if it is homologated, because they'd lose Holden backing through it. The only thing that will worry them is if Walkinshaw and HSV, you know, gets the Camaro up and running pretty well, but then offers better deals to the independent teams, you know, like Team 18. Possibly even BJR, BJR or GRM. Sorry, and you know, if they're able to do that and take away some of the customer base of Triple Eight, that'll really put a strain on the relationship between Triple Eight and Holden. Pretty much, if and especially if the Camaros start succeeding.
2: Do you think it's realistic, Jordan, for this to actually happen? Because I've got to, I'm putting my hand up, and I just can't see it being on the radar that Holden will just shut this down if it becomes. Realistic, which I think at the moment it's just more a pipe dream than anything.
1: That's the thing uh, with with the with the amount of control that GM has, especially over Holden, being you know some some small kind of uh, division out in the you know kind of colonial. You know, pretty much, I really don't think that this will get up. And if the response to the Mustang is anything to go by, especially with the looks of it that you just touched on before, being so different to the production car, mainly because of the control chassis that we use. I mean, if you've seen pictures of the Camaro, the roof's about half the body size of the Mustang, so you've got to think about how much so that would need to be changed. I really don't see this getting up anytime soon. Other manufacturers? Yep, sure, no worries, but not the Camaro.
4: Which, uh, speaking with Tom Walkenshaw, oh, sorry, Tom Walkenshaw, speaking with Ryan, he actually said to me that, you know, he's going to require them to uh, relook really at the uh, turret, which involves that very thing you talked about changing the, and I can't see supercars saying, having now gone through the process with the Mustang, why the hell would they start changing it, which they didn't do, um, for, the, for the Camaro to come in? So it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, the other point of it is we've now seen the third manufacturer, Nissan, leave the pack. Do you think this is going to have a major impact on the longevity of uh, Kelly Racing, Tim?
2: Uh, short answer, yes. Um, but I and I worry about what sort of um, how competitive they will be on the racetrack in 2019 because we've seen in 2018 they've really struggled badly, um, especially the second half of the year where I'm not sure whether the funds were drying up, but just um, they were so off the pace that it wasn't funny. And um, then you worry that if they're putting at least one pay driver and maybe two pay drivers. And if you count Simona, maybe it's three pay drivers in there, then that's going to be a serious concern for that team. And you know, I'm not sure what you guys think, but I just can't see them being competitive at all next year. And if they're just racing around looking towards 2020, and if there is talk of a new manufacturer coming on board, then whether they write off 2019 completely, you just think, whether they're not a blight on the sport, but they're just going to be right down the, the back of the pack and there's not much they can do about it. Uh, looking back, I just... I mean, Nissan spent so much money coming into the sport and they must look and think it, it's a bit of a waste, to be honest with you, because they didn't achieve, I don't think, anywhere near the results or the achievements that they would have had as their, as their goals. And, you know, I would think they would be pretty disappointed with how it all played out.
0: Yeah, but you have I mean, to be with- fair that... Nissan got nobbled from the get-go. The commission really put ridiculous impediments into their ability to uh, get a car up and running and competitive quickly. And these impediments weren't made to... And, of course, the Mercedes was on the uh, track on this uh, Tuesday that we're recording the show, um, years on from it last racing, three years on from at last racing. But the commission allowed them to have the uh, overhead cams Nissan, uh, sorry, Volvo came in under a completely different set of rules. So Nissan's right to feel we didn't achieve it. And they're also right to think, why do we want to go back there? They nobbled us right from the start.
1: I don't think, but at that same time, even though, well, pretty much they were set up for a bit of failure from the get-go. Only three wins in six seasons is pretty un- unacceptable, if you think about it. With the, with, in a factory-backed team, That's just not on. I mean, with their first win coming on the E70 fuel, not E85, that left a bad taste in the mouth of a lot of punters and pretty much tainted the look of the team's fans going forwards. But, you know, you look at Volvo, yeah, sure, they had a gun like McLaughlin in the car, but they had two wins in their first season, whereas it took Nissan until 2016 to get their second win at Hidden Valley with Michael Caruso driving. It was a flawed project from the get-go. You know, no matter how much money you pump into something like this, you've got to get it right from the instance. And I know what you're saying about them possibly being set up down the wrong track by supercars and by the commission. But at the end of the day, they probably actually should have pulled out sooner um, just because of their, they weren't getting a results. Sure, they got eighth in the championship this year, and that was pretty good for Rick Kelly. But as Tim said, the second half of the year was just woeful for them.
2: Jordan, can I just ask, do you think it was a blue by Nissan and, and the head honchos there to, to be, and I don't know why they were so loyal to the Kellys, but why they didn't pull some of that money out and put it elsewhere to see if another team could do better? I mean, there was a time there where DJR Team Penske didn't have a manufacturer on board. Like, why they didn't jump in and grab them and say, hey, can you have a crack at this and we'll, we'll give you a couple of years to see if you can do better? Because you now the Kellys are miles off and have been miles off since Since the get-go.
1: No, certainly. And I think the biggest problem for them was that right from the start, they decided to run four cars. To run a four-car operation, I mean, even 888 wouldn't do that. Three cars was a stretch for them. Four cars, especially for a team as, well, effectively small as what Kelly Racing is, with no championship success, that was a big ask. And, you know, those kind of teams are always going to draw in the manufacturers because they see something in them, like with GRM and the like. But in this instance, I, I think you're right. Nissan should have possibly looked elsewhere halfway through the tenure and gone, Hey guys, you're not really getting the results that we want. We might start looking elsewhere or be interested in other teams. Um, but yeah, it, it's all, it's all hearsay now. What's done is done and t- Kelly Racing especially are going to be looking forward to the future and serve the past to get good results. But can you
2: oh. see any, I mean, can you guys see it all? Kelly Racing having any sort of success next
1: season? No. Not a not a chance, mate. So with with only one win this year, which was at a well, pretty low horsepower track and next year they're not going to be developing the car really with the lack of funds that they have. I really don't see that next year is going to be good for them. I think it will be a bit of a ride off and they'll have to focus towards twenty twenty, find another manufacturer or cut a good deal with Triple Eight for some ZBs.
4: Well, when you think about the foundation of what is Kelly Racing, which was HSV, which was then became inside uh, HRT, and the people who were there were a lot of HRT people who wanted across, um, and uh, you know they got two championships with Rick and Garth. Um, they won two Bathursts with, with Rick and uh, Greg Murphy. Uh, it's a long time ago they had that success, and Kellys have really done very little since then. So. It's hard to see, um, but obviously they did a very good job uh, in convincing them. Uh, Nick Ryan and others within uh, Kelly's, maybe uh, it was uh, both uh, Todd and Rick that convinced Listen uh, that they should come across. The other man involved in the background was John Crennan. I understand,
0: and he he played a vital part in in getting the marriage. But I don't, yeah, I I don't have, I don't think. Uh, that Kellys would let the things that happened to them happen again if they were to get a manufacturer up. And the fact they're staying with these cars for 2019 means they're going to have a tough road to hoe and a driver line-up that's not settled yet. And if they were to lose Caruso, I I think that would be a a huge body blow. But it, it also begs the question is, why would the next manufacturer want to go with them? You know, they they could look at uh, Gary Rogers' results with Volvo and look at Kelly Racing's results with Nissan. And if you're choosing between two teams... But uh, my view is, if the Camaro gets up, I don't think Red Bull will stay with Holden. I think Red Bull will have a new manufacturer by the time the Camaro hits the track, should it hit the track. OK.
4: Well, let's just switch tacks for a few minutes and... Uh have a look at the season coming up and the season's on in terms of both the calendar, the formation of it, and things like the Sandown 500 moving around. Um, but let's just look at format to start with. In the majority of cases, most events, you'd have to say the change to the longer
2: races has worked very well. Tim? Oh, absolutely. And um, uh, can I just say I'm so pleased they kept the Gold Coast 600 as a 600K Two-day race. Um, I hated the the concept of following the Sandown 500 and having that as a one race. So I just think it it makes Saturday just as big as Sunday, which makes that event at Surface Paradise so good. So I'm really pleased for that. Um, I hate the idea of having Sandown after that and having it last. You know, it, it's the warm up to Bathurst. So I just think that is a a staggering decision. And um, while I'm um, I've got the, the microphone, guys. I just think one of the highlights for me this season was the success of the Sydney Motorsport Park night race. So I just think that picture on the podium with the fireworks going off was one of the images of 2018. And for that event not to even be on the schedule in 2019 is gobsmacking. So uh, when that picture did come out for the next season, I was I did check my head at a number of things, uh, but that is probably the biggest one to, to not have Sydney there.
1: I mean, Craig and uh, some, some of the other people inside the media industry within within cars know that when the revised calendar came out, I had a bit of a blue. You know, at, at my core, I'm still a punter. I believe that I'm an over-glorified punter at that, but I think I think a lot of the same things that the fans do. And when I saw some of those big changes, like, you know, uh, Sydney being left out, Sandown being moved around, initially you think, well, what have they done? That's breaking tradition in the case of Sandown, but with Sydney, you've got to be wondering if they're thinking, well, what did we do wrong? We just put on the best event of the year, arguably. We had bigger crowds than years before at the track, and it was a rating success. So why are we being dropped? I agree that the Gold Coast round should stay as a 600 km event, and it's really good that that has happened bringing the co-drivers into the mix uh, more like this year when the co-drivers actually completed more laps out of the two races, you know, even though one wasn't complete uh, than the main drivers, that really showed uh, how important that event is in the Enduro Cup as a whole. A 500-kilometre street race, even with co-drivers, that would be absolutely hell in one hit, especially with the humidity up there. But, it's um,
0: the only way to go. The- it is the best idea that I'd heard in years, and they didn't have the balls to go through with it. That's the bottom line. It's it was a great idea. It who won the Gold Coast Six Hundred Tim in twenty eighteen? Jaz Moffat
2: and James Moffat won the Saturday race, and the Sunday race was washed out.
0: Exactly, it made no. It, it makes no sense. And if who won the Clipsal Five Hundred? Shane Van Gisbergen won both races. You know, it's it, it's nonsensical that you have to go, oh, on Saturday this happened, on Sunday that happened, or you have to qualify your answer by saying, oh, Shane won both races and he won the Clipsal. At least with Clipsal, you win the Sunday race, you win the Clipsal. But it, it, it just makes it too hard. Who won the AFL Grand Final, Tim? Uh, well, I'm a Collingwood man, so it's very hard to say West Coast. But uh, It's I, one, I it's one game because, and it's the Grand Final. But
2: you're questioning... So, Craig, you're questioning everything that the sport does because they put just as much um, into Saturday as they do Sunday all season long, apart from Bathurst and Sandown. So, are you questioning 13 or 14 other events? Which, yep. um, I if that's the case, for, then, then we've got serious
0: issues. I have done for 10, 15 years. The one thing that yes. Jordan's referring to that uh, because I, I, he and I had t- spoken when he had his uh, he's had his moment at. Uh, Complaining about the calendar is—it's a part one of a two-part series. The calendar, if you like, it's it's Mockingjay part one, and you've got to remember that Mockingjay part two will explain the story. And they've released the first part of the calendar. They've got wet. They've got cold feet with it. So when part two comes out, it might not even be able to explain it. It might be a David Lynch. Uh, TV drama because they changed around part one so much before they got part two out, but it was a two year calendar that they built and they only released one part of it, which probably would have explained most of what was going on. And of course that is Sydney's going to be in January in 2020 and they didn't want to have Sydney in August and then Sydney in 2020. In okay, January so
1: 2020. Let's put our hands up. Who wants to be at Sydney Motorsport Park in Western Sydney in the middle of January on a 30-odd-degree day. I don't think anyone wants to do that. Yeah, sure, the Summer Series is a great idea, you know, big bash, all that nonsense, but no one will go to Sydney Motorsport Park when it's that hot, when you got no trees around, one bloody grandstand. It's just not going to work. The Summer Series, yep, cool concept. Night races, that will be a good idea, but certainly during the day, like we even saw this year with the night race at uh, Sydney Motorsport Park, You've still got to do stuff during the day. You can't just run your event at night because you only have a limited amount of time.
0: Why not? So Why can't you? Are you saying supercars as the entertainment is not good enough to pull off two and a half hours of pure sporting entertainment or sport entertainment?
1: But what about qualifying? What about practice? You've got so much more other than the race unless you literally just rock up there, get people to draw their names out of the hat.
0: And no, you, mate, can't you can have expect- all that. You can have all that in one night. But why do you have to have 15 15 other support races? If if your show's good enough, then you could get away with have a qualifying, have uh, a shootout, and go straight into a race and get it all compacted down. Because your biggest problem is racing in summer. How are all the teams – and I had this spray a couple of weeks ago, so, Tony, you can pull me up if you want. How are all the teams – in the Dunlop Super 2s, in the Utes, in the Touring Car Masters, who don't have physios, who don't have all the uh, uh, people and support crews, how are they going to go in a summer series when they're racing in the hottest part of the day when the stars are all racing at night? But if you Craig, go to a summer series, you you've got to just cool it down. You don't you don't watch a test match and a big bash game after it. But the summer series concept is 12 months in the making. I mean, they have to actually
2: wipe out the best part of the season to then... Start the season proper, whether it's August or September or October, around Sandown, Bathurst, or whether you start up north with and work, you know, like a Townsville or a Darwin, and then work right through the summer. Like I don't see the, I don't sort of see the point of starting in January, especially when you finish in late November. That how is that going to work?
0: Yeah, I, I I've gone off the summer series partly because you look at Fox Sports, you don't have a, a shortage of sports on the television, you don't have a shortage of sport on free-to-air television in the summer anymore. Ten years ago when they were first talking about it, there was cricket and not much else on, in summer sport. But it, it, summer's been you know, absolutely polluted now with all these other sports that have fragmented audiences. At least when you're going up against the footballs, you know what you're going up against.
2: Yeah, I think it's a, and you only have to look at America, where every single sport, and that includes, you know, golf, uh, NASCAR, uh, baseball, they're all trying to get away from the NFL because football is just so big, And, and I think anything where supercars can get away from the ASL and NRL season is a positive. You only have to look at the success of Newcastle and. Uh, I work in TV land and I work at Foxtel and the success of the Newcastle event, the ratings, especially on the Sunday in particular, when the championship was up for grabs, were, they were, uh, I'm not sure if mesmerising is the right word, but they were staggering. And, and it's so good for, and, and I'm, I'm like Jordan, I'm, I'm a fan of the sport first. And I loved the fact that everyone at, at Fox footy on that Monday was talking about the, the numbers that the supercars pulled on the Sunday—they were—they were, they were AFL finals numbers for the final race of the, the supercar season. So, as a sport, it's very healthy right now for supercars in TV land because Foxtel absolutely loves them. And, and there's only a few sports that right now are still rating very well, and that includes AFL and NRL. I, I think cricket's going to be a huge success for, for Fox Sports, and the other big success story is. Right now, is supercars because some of those other sports in summer, like the A League, they their numbers are stinking it up at the moment, and, and the NBL isn't even on the radar. They are, you know, some of their numbers don't even top twenty thousand for their games. So, you know, when you consider that the supercars grand final rated almost three hundred thousand, they're in a very healthy place. Mm. Okay, let's get back to things
4: we do know about twenty nineteen right, not looking at the calendars beyond that, and that is the Sandown 500. You actually mentioned about the 600, Tim. You're glad they made a decision. I am as well. But why were you glad that that decision was made about keeping Saturday, Sanctuary, and Sunday, and two events as such, rather than blending into just all readying up for a 500 on Sunday?
2: I just don't like the Mickey Mouse qualifying races, and I think people go to the Gold Coast because it's an event, and it's an event not only on Sunday, but on Saturday, and it makes Saturday just as big as Sunday. So, um, you know, I've been going to the the, the Gold Coast uh, Street race since 1991 when it started. I, I think it's it's great. It's a great concept for supercars to have a race on Saturday and Sunday. And I wanted it to stay like that. Um, so that's you know, I put my hand up. So, uh, and then I just don't think it makes any sense to run fan down last when it should be first before Bathurst to to give the teams the opportunity to we all know they're going to make errors and blues and learn on the way because it's quite often the first time driving combos have driven together. It's, um, you know, first time teams have been doing that. And, and you don't want that to happen on, on Bathurst Day when you don't want a simple error to happen and cost you, um, uh, uh, not, not the race, but cost you a good a good finish in, in the biggest race of them all. You want to iron those bugs out at Sandown when it doesn't mean quite as much but Well, that for me, you know, it puts so much pressure on the teams to get it absolutely right for the the bigger
3: stage. More with Tim Hodges and Jordan Mulak after the break. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year
0: in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for
1: me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin
0: tops such as the yeah, Supercars in Australia is where i seen myself.
4: Second crack at the Australian Times since we've been
3: back and a bit unlucky the first time that we ended up with a win there at Freeway City two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au.
4: Well, it would seem that highly likely that Sandown is going to come in, uh, not September, but in October of 2019. Um, And yeah, we know historically all those European drivers used to look forward to Sandown. They didn't have much to learn the track, unlike Bathurst. They could learn the car, they could learn the team. Well, that's not going to happen, and Sandown becomes probably in some ways more important than it's ever been, not as somewhere as a training ground, but as somewhere as a final proving ground. So that's going to be an interesting thing as part of the 2019 season. Jordan, what's your thoughts? Uh, See,
1: I'd like to be the devil's advocate there. Even though I hate the fact that we don't have the traditional Sandown-Bathurst run, with what Tim said about there possibly being more mistakes, I don't think that's a particularly bad thing. It'll really show up the level, of pro- sorry, the level of professionalism within the sport and which teams will really shine. I mean, we saw this year at the Bathurst 1000, what? The wheel fell off car one, possibly the, the shortest odds of that car to win Bathurst in years. Everybody was tipping it as the winner. Reynolds and Yildon, they had the win in their hands until Reynolds cramped up even though he had all the time in the world to prepare, they had everything that they could have done to possibly prevent that from happening, and they didn't, it'll really lift the level of the teams coming in. Sure, there'll be more mistakes, especially from the co-drivers, being the first time that they really get a lot of seat time in the year, despite there being some tests throughout the year, which we don't have enough of. But at the same time, it will really show up the good teams from the bad, and then the really ugly ones when we rock up to Bathurst. So even though it's a shame that we lose that stand-down Bathurst tradition, it, it, it'll it be really interesting next year to see how that works
4: out. And it's very much so that who can adapt to it the change? Who's going to be the ones who are most on the ball and realise that uh, those test days at a Winton or Queensland racer that happen around the country are going to be more important than ever before in terms of getting driver changes and all those things just right. It's it's certainly going to make an interesting year with the changes that have come. Um, Have you got any predictions, Tim, on
2: uh, what do you think is going to happen next year? Well, I think um, Red Bull, um, they were filthy pretty much the entire last day of the season and I think it cost them a good result because they were so angry and, um, you know, they let everyone who walked past the garage know how angry they were with the stewards finding on, on the Sunday morning. So I think that will carry them right through the off season, and they'll hit back uh, with a vengeance. But having said what I said before, I think the Mustang will hit the ground running and will be a contender from day one. So again, I think it's going to be probably a battle of Red Bull and Shell cars to see who's the best of the lot, but uh, I think there'll be a big improvement if I had to make a, a prediction, a big improvement from the Tickford camp, it's still a big unknown, who will be um, at that team and, um,
0: but I, I think they will be winning more races than, than just the one that it won this year I'm interested, uh, Jordan uh, taking up Tim's point that perhaps Triple Eight got the penalty in Newcastle on Saturday that they perhaps should have got on uh, what was it, Sunday at New Zealand?
1: Yeah, look, so I'm, I'm going to give full disclosure here and say that I'm a fan of the Blue Oval. I've been a Dick Johnson Racing fan since the day I was born, thanks to the <laughs> Act family history of everybody supporting that team, uh, at least all the ones worth talking to. So pretty much, I, I really do believe that the, the penalty on Saturday, I, I know that this sounds weird, but the stewards would have almost been, Forced to give that penalty to them because, you know, they got away with a free kick effectively in Auckland at Port Coe, with um, the penalty not being given in that pit stop for Van Gisbergen. And then they've made another error. They almost have to do something about it. You know, I know it's a really dangerous thing to do, but looking at the comments sections on social media, everybody blows up whenever they're not penalised for... An issue, an issue that should have deserved a penalty. I mean, if we still look back to t- 2017, and this is where I'm a really salty Ford fan, you look <laughs> at the Phillip Island race on Saturday where everyone was getting pinged for crossing the line in the pit lane. Do we all remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody apart from Johnny Winkup got a penalty yep. for that. And that then made the difference at the end of the year. That 21-point difference resulted in Winkup getting the championship over the Goughlin. So back to Newcastle this year, I really do think the stewards had to give a penalty to them. And it's almost a, a character assessment on Triple Eight is that they then went into Sunday with the mentality of, oh, we're the, well, not really even the underdogs, but we're the victims here. And even then yeah. Gisbergen had that way of thinking, and that's not the way to go. You wind back the clock 12 months from that, McLaughlin left. Newcastle with his tail between his legs after losing the Unlosable Championship. Fast forward 363 or 364 days and you get Wengisberg coming into the last race down on points but with superior car speed arguably throughout the year. The big problem was that with that penalty, that put them backwards with their mentality and they approached the day poorly. Like, you look at his form on that day, he was nowhere even if they didn't get that penalty, so even if you subtract that from Saturday's results, McLaughlin still would have won the championship. But they're going on about, oh, you know, we went into Sunday with the penalty, we were really down, and that kind of stuff. It's like, guys, you're a professional race team, you're a factory race team, get on with the job. You could have won that championship, but you didn't. Don't blame it on the stewards. And
4: perhaps that shows Jamie Winkel That is, um, quite simply, that, Have Triple Eight not been ever pushed as hard? They made mistakes, whether they got penalties or didn't get penalties. Both uh, Van Gisbergen's wheel and the fuel, they were both mistakes. Now, Triple Eight certainly had a change of personnel. (laughs) When I was away for two or three years, not regularly going, suddenly I go in the garage. I mean, there are the guys I've known, Adam Devereaux and Gary's and and Andrew Simpson, guys like that I've known a long time, 20-odd years. But there are all these new faces I don't know. And are those
2: mistakes coming because Triple Eight is getting more pressure than they've ever had before? Tim? Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And you only have to go back to the second half of the season. You go to the Gold Coast where they made a number of howlers on, on both days. And then that followed into to New Zealand and ultimately to, to, to Newcastle. I think after New Zealand, the funny thing was that that one moment after the race when Shane had won the race and then pulled up beside Scott. He really became the villain. And that whole team, just going to Newcastle, became almost the evil empire, which you know I'm a big NASCAR fan and I love the fact that Kyle Bush puts his hand up and he likes to play the role of the villain. And they have such heroes and villains in that sport in NASCAR that we haven't had in the past in supercars. And I think that will really stick with, with the Red Bull team going forward. I also love the fact that, you know, you're right, Jordan, that, that Red Bull did dirty up so much and it was, it was almost like the petulant child didn't get their way, so they cracked it. And, and I love the fact that Neil Crompton and I spoke to Nathan Prendergast, the, the, the producer of the series, um, yesterday at an event and he said that Roland Dane said, do not talk to me because I will not answer questions. And, and he said this on the comms that back to, to base. So we can't really go and speak to Roland Dane. And, and Nathan was the one who said, well, get in front of the camera and say exactly what Roland said. And, and Neil Crompton threw him under the bus. And it, it was great. It was just to show that this team was affected so much by the rivalry that that CJR team Penske bought from them all season long, especially the last weekend that they were simply rattled. And I, I think it was great. So, Going forward, uh, on that last weekend, I can't believe that the stewards weren't on top of anything that happened to cars 97 or 17. They had to be, within an instant, they had to get right. And the fact that they missed the 97 pit stop on the Saturday, that it dragged into Saturday night, that it dragged right through to Sunday morning, I just think was unacceptable. So hopefully going forward, the stewards can get pull their finger out and have a better season, certainly than they did in, in 2018. Is that too harsh? (laughs)
1: No, no. not at all, mate.
2: (laughs) It's going to be interesting, in fact,
4: because one of the big changes, that's, of course, coming over the uh, summer period is the change from David Stewart, who's uh, a long-time man in this sport, to somebody who's long-time in sport but brings his F1 experience in Adrian Burgess. So it's going to be fascinating to see that transition and the very thing that you just mentioned, Tim, will that uh, take place? One thing I just might mention is Craig and I had a conversation. We interviewed... Ryan's story last week, and uh, uh, we we won't mention exactly what was said, but it, it was more the off-air comments, Craig, uh, that we had with uh, Ryan that uh, were fascinating. We can't actually mention them, but uh, by crikey, they were they were uh, you know eye-opening for me.
0: Well, it's always the way, isn't it, um, Tim? The cutting the cutting room floor does get the best uh, does get the best bits.
2: Well, at the end of the day, guys, and I can't. You know, if you counted every time they said, Oh, we respect each other. We're two teams and the respect is enormous. Yes, they respected each other, but don't for an instant think that CJR team Penske and Red Bull Holden racing team don't hate each other. Like it's fine to say you respect each other. Boxers say they respect each other. They then go and punch each other in the face for, for 10 rounds. So, uh, you know, that's the beauty for us as race fans. What we've got to look forward to over the next, certainly the next 12 months is that these two teams clearly are at the top of their tree. They're the best in the business by, I mean, by a mile, by some way. And they clearly have a great history. They clearly don't like each other and they clearly want what each other has had. And that's enormous success and they want it next year. So that's the beauty for us is it's going to be game on. And I think it's going to be those two teams that again will again be the the ones to catch. Adelaide
3: onward. and our final thoughts are after the break. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And you know, every every year I see Jackie's crew at the Grand Prix, and I just remind myself. of of his part in in starting the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion.
2: Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport but motorsport all around the world.
3: Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Well,
4: it, it all paints a fascinating picture it's wonderful to see uh, and have two people such as uh, yourselves, Tim and Jordan, to uh, discuss these things because you have that inside supercars as well where you're living around the sport. And uh, it's uh, been wonderful hearing from you. Are there any last thoughts you've uh, got, Jordan, on it?
1: I think 2019 is going to be an absolute cracker. We say that at the end of each season, but next year is going to be a new one. It, it will see a resurgence within Triple Eight after losing the championship this year. We'll see Scotty McLaughlin step up to an, an absolutely another level, especially running the 17 on his car next year. That that makes my heart sing. That that <laughs> is special for Ford fans <laughs> and fans of Dick Johnson racing. The fact that he said, "No, I'm not going to take the one. I'm taking Dick's number." That means so much. So, and also with the dark horses in Erebus Motorsport, you know Reynolds, but also Dick Squally up there. We're in for a cracker 2019, lads. Let's hope we let's hope that's a good one.
2: And Tim? I will say, Jordan, I think that's the only time I haven't agreed with you so far today is that I wish Scott, I wish Scott had number one next year. He, he worked his backside off it. He dreamt of nothing else in his life. You know, he didn't care for Formula One or IndyCar or anything else. He wanted to win the Supercar Championship. He went and did it, and he won't have number one at round one next year. That, that to me, is a little bit uh, disappointing. I, I will say this, guys, that it, it's going to be a big year for, for those drivers next year because their king isn't out there, Craig Lowndes. So I, I hope they all not take turns, but take it upon themselves to step up to the plate to, to lift the profile of the sport because they're going to have to work harder than they ever have before. Don't just leave it to to Scott McLaughlin. Um, you know we know Shane van Gisburg and doesn't like the media, so I hope all the drivers sort of step up to the plate. And whether it's boxing on or having incidents and, and knowing that they've got to they've got to step up to the plate to get in to the press and to get the sport out there. So um, it it will be certainly a different-looking grid when there's no Craig Lowndes on it for for Adelaide for for round one going forward. And and before I go, guys, uh, at the Adelaide 500 next year, there'll be a little book called Road to Redemption – uh, it will retail for thirty nine ninety five. I hope you you'll buy one and uh, and enjoy the wreath.
0: And uh, Tim, how can they pre order your book? Uh, well, it'll be uh, hopefully at all good bookstores,
2: Craig, and it will be on sale at the track. And uh, follow Scott McLaughlin's webpage page for for all the info if you want to get it online.
0: All right, thanks very much. How... Glad you have a uh, chance to
4: push your barrow, uh, Tim. That's fantastic. And Jordan, <laughs> uh, as somebody who's covered this uh, sports since ninety four. I've been hearing every year that it's going to be bigger and better, all those things. One of the things I always remember, it took about 10 years for actually the sport to get as big as I thought it was. Uh, I remember Simmons in 95 and there were 12 cars or whatever. And all those but yes, there's no doubt that um, the sport does need to move up and it does need to do as Tim says, um, where drivers uh, are becoming far more attuned to what the media needs and uh, to make it the sport that, uh, yeah, where Cochrane talked about it being the third biggest sport, it obviously not, but uh, it, by God, it wants to be. And uh, he is hoping that we get that chance. So, from all of us at Inside Supercars, thanks, Tim. Thank you, Jordan.
3: And thank we you. We'll be saying good night. Thank you. Good night from us. And it's good night from him. The Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au.